The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus put a parable before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came, sowed darnel among the wheat, and made off. When the new wheat sprouted and ripened, the darnel appeared as well. The owner's servants went to him and said, Sir, was it not good seed that you sowed in your field? If so, where does the darnel come from? Some enemy has done this, he said. And the servant said, Do you want us to go and weed it out? But he said, No. Because when you weed it out, you might pull up the wheat as well. Let them both grow till the harvest. And at harvest time, I shall say to the reapers, First collect the darnel and tie it in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat into my barn. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are hearing now the parables of Jesus. Now that Jesus has set the scene with his disciples, we're hearing um, these things that the kingdom of heaven is likened to. I don't usually choose the shorter reading, but I, I did today. Um, along with that would have gone the yeast kneaded into the dough and, and, and a few other things that sort of add this rich, rich context. You know, if you hold all the parables alongside each other, they don't really quite fit. And I think that's the point. The kingdom of heaven is bigger and, and sort of more um, expansive than, than all these images. So you don't get caught in the image, but the image actually sort of raises your imagination. The kingdom of heaven is like these things. Um, there's a problem in the parable that I think Jesus makes very clear, but let's make it clear in our own lives, because we believe in God. Um, is God good? Well, the obvious answer is yes. The word God comes from the same word good. So, yes, God is good. Uh, does God do good things and only good things? That's also a yes. Uh, that's why the people who work in the field are so confused. Where does this not good stuff come from? This, this doesn't have your fingerprint on it, God. Um, and, and then we see the world that God has created, which is riddled with, let's say, not good. It's riddled with stuff that's lacking in goodness, including us. Including us. So, so what's happening here? Uh, does God not want us to be good like him? Is God not actually interested in us becoming holy, becoming saints? You know, sainthood is the natural consequence of your baptism. It sounds a bit um, horrendous when we put it this way, but if we don't become saints, and I, and I actually mean canonized saints, <laughs> really, like that should be the goal, our baptism sort of didn't reach its proper end. You think about that, that's pretty extravagant, isn't it? but it's meant to reach a very high end, this baptismal dignity that we have. Okay, so then how does God grow us into the saints that only each of you are? Not probably by the means we wish God would. God can do anything, so we wish God would just make us holy. But God doesn't seem to do that, does he? Uh, so let's think about how we usually grow out of the spiritual realm. Uh, if any of you were um, sports people in, in, at some point in your life, maybe you still are, 
but I, um, I think anyone who, who undertakes a sport knows that there's rigor involved. You, know? you don't turn up to the training session and the coach says, hey, you go ahead and make it up as you go. <laughs> We're just having fun here. Um, let's, let's just let you take the lead. No, the coach usually puts you through a whole lot of pretty strenuous um, exercises. A good coach knows what your capacity is and he will bring you just to that capacity and maybe even stretch you just beyond it so that when you are training for a long period of time you are increasing in your skill, in your fitness, in your confidence. Suddenly, you know, six months down the track, you're tremendously more um, able than you were at the beginning. A good coach does this. We might not like it in the moment, but when we look back, we think, yeah, uh, I grew, I was stretched, and I'm, I'm thankful. I didn't like it when I was sweating and panting, but I like it now. The best teachers that we've had as well, um, for those who are still in school, we might, we might think mistakenly that our favorite teachers are the most fun ones. Oh yeah, the ones we get to just chill with, and we take them off track, and they meander all over the place, and we don't actually do any work. Well, in retrospect, those probably aren't our favorite teachers when we had grown up. We think, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. whoever, they were pretty strict. They really called me to task. And I'm thankful to them for what they did in my life. I didn't like it at the time, but I'm very, very thankful to it, for it now. Um, finally, uh, to all of you who are parents, um, I'm sure you've seen in your own family lives that you're not called to be your kids' best friends. That's not your vocation as parents. Sometimes you have to put a heavy hand down or a heavy voice or whatever the case may be. You're not tyrants either though, are you? I mean, a good parent, as we heard in that reading from Wisdom, there's um, strength and certainty alongside leniency and mercy and, and compassion. You know, if there's a rapport between the child and the parent, then a whole lot of wriggle room is sort of opened up, isn't it? I think of God's um, active will and God's permissive will, because God is a, a parent to us in the, in, the, in the literal sense, in the spiritual literal sense. Um, God has an active will. We were talking about it before. God's active will is always good, always absolutely purely good. But God also has what's called a permissive will. God allows all sorts of things that aren't really so good. God can work with that stuff because God's providence is enough and more. But you think God allows things to sort of run their course even though they seem to be going astray, even though they seem to be getting messier, curlier. Um, God's active will is, is not thwarted by the mess that happens to be around it. It's kind of like a parent's permissive will as well. Sometimes you use the analogy of a parent who knows that their kid is um, sneaking out you know, at night to go to parties or something. Um, now the parent could double down on the kid and say, We've putting a, we're putting a padlock on your window and your curfew is now two hours earlier and um, no more technology and you're gonna learn. <laughs> but that probably isn't the angle that most parents take, is it? I mean, if their kid is safe, then maybe within reason the parent will simply let things run their course. They'll be watching, they'll be there if, if uh, tragedy is <laughs> looming around the corner, but they're permissively allowing something other than their actual will to kind of run alongside it. They think to themselves, maybe my kid needs to sort of 
do that to learn what, what is really important here. We do that in the, in the temporal realm, so God certainly does it with us as well. Anyway, the point is, with all of these things and more, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a partnership between God's perfect will being um, brought about and us with our weak, frail, silly, meandering journeys that eventually come into lockstep with God. This is part of, I think, what's shown to us in the parable of the wheat and the darnel. Um, it's the mystery, in short, of sin and sinfulness in our world and in our lives, in our community, in our past, in our future. We're called to holiness, but God's manner of making us holy is that we would wrestle with sinfulness and sin. Strange, isn't it? Part of the logic with this is that just like a good coach and a good teacher and a good parent, to raise the person up into this, certain resistances are sort of um, methodically put in place. God calls us and then makes following him a little bit tricky at times. We have to think, we have to pray, we have to discern together. We have to go and read scripture and get a sense of what might be going on. We get stronger by our own sweat. We get a bit wiser by our own reason being put to work. Not only that, but certainly that is involved. God wants us to be holy, not just when he's blowing a whole lot of wind in our sail, but he wants us actually to grow into holy people, to raise into the maturity of each of our baptisms, which means over the course of our faith life, we transform. We're different in character and in quality by the ends of our journeys than we were at the beginning. We're the same person, obviously, but we've, we've somehow become something more. God has brought about something more in us. In the end, in our journeys, we come to realize <clears throat> that um, while we have our own imperfections, and even our own brokenness, and even our own uh, misguided intentions, and all of that. It's God ultimately who separates wheat from chaff, wheat from darnel. Darnel is an interesting thing, by the way. It's, it's a kind of counterfeit wheat. You know, it looks like wheat, smells like wheat, but it's not wheat. So it's, it's hard to discern this thing when it turns up. You've got to sort of be on the lookout for it, and then you've got to decide what to do with it. We're coming here now to press up against what God is doing in our lives. God is doing it over the course of our lives, but we get to see it on the altar. Because what is the Eucharistic host? It's us, all that we have and all that we are. It's the communion of saints. It's the body of Jesus in and of himself without a single darnel in there. Like it's a perfect pure communion that God has brought about from us, in us. I'm going to use one of the Eucharistic prayers that says that God was pleased to fashion our salvation out of what caused our fall, namely our mortality. What caused us to fall into sin? Well, our human uh, fragility. So what does God make the cause of our salvation? That same flesh that he takes to himself. 
This is the process whereby wheat is brought to the altar, and that's us. Let's come in faith and in trust.